Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Don, the co-founder of IT Pro TV and CTO of ACI Learning. And they discuss how IT Pro TV has been reimagining online IT education, why it's important that people are comfortable making mistakes at a company, and how to train your leaders to become mentors. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So tell me about your background. How did you get into technology? Well, you know, I I actually went to school planning to become an attorney. I wanted to go to law school and uh, didn't didn't have a lot of money or scholarship. So I was building and selling computers on the side to pay for school, you know, just to cover the tuition. And it was my senior year in college that I decided that I didn't want to be an attorney and I wanted to be in IT instead. I was having so much fun doing this thing on the side that I decided I wanted to make a career out of it. Uh, so I ended up getting a degree in political science and CIS, which has turned out to be unusually useful. You know, it turns out politics are involved in everything, but IT was my passion. And so I got out in the industry. And uh, when I, I first got started, I didn't have my CIS degree yet. So I wanted to get into IT and I needed to find a way to do that. And I learned about certifications, uh, an easy way to demonstrate knowledge you already had, to validate your skills, to get your resume noticed, to get a job. And I started looking for training opportunities to, to be able to, to learn what I needed to pass those certification tests. And as a, a college student, it was really expensive. You know, a lot of the training that's out there, the courses, even the exams themselves, uh, like back then to get your MCSE took six exams and they all add up. Uh, so it ends up being expensive. And that's something that stuck with me over the years. I did get my certifications and I went out and worked in the field. I was a field engineer for several years, traveled a lot uh, and kind of stumbled into teaching, not too far into that career. So I was learning a lot of amazing things out in the field. And I found where I could share those real world experiences with people. And they found a lot of value in it. You know, reading a textbook is one thing, but hearing a real life story really teaches you something. So I started teaching while I was working. I worked for an insurance company for several years. I worked in the financial sector for a bank out in Seattle for several years and uh, kind of settled back into teaching because there was a great new opportunity, which was teaching via the internet, uh, actually reaching out to people all over the globe, helping people get into IT as a career because it's been great for me. It can be great for them, but also helping people already in IT to advance and move forward in their career. Uh, and to do it in a, a cost-effective manner, that's, that's something that just not a lot of people were doing. So that's what kind of caused my career to evolve. And throughout that whole process, I, I started as a field engineer, became a network engineer, worked in a sysadmin space, transitioned into management, started managing teams and people, uh, started dealing with cybersecurity and you know, all the things that fall under IT leadership now. Uh, and it's given me a, a nice broad base of knowledge to work from. And so what was the day like when you decided to found this company? You know, uh, at the time I was working for a, uh, an insurance company and my, my business partner, Tim, uh, he ran a, a brick and mortar in-person training organization. So classroom training. And we were talking about the, the amount of sales calls that our, our salespeople would make. 
and that a, a good salesperson, somebody who you know was really dedicated and a hard worker, would make 100 calls or talk to 100 different people in a day. And if they sold even one, then that was a great day for them. That you know, because it was training was expensive, so it was a it was a good sales day for them. But we were talking about it, and I said, "What what happens to the other 99 people? Did, did the other 99 people just say, no, nah, IT stinks. I don't want to be in it.'" And so we started breaking it down. And we we're like, all right, well, for some people, it's too expensive. Actually, a lot of people. For some people, no, they, they don't want to get into IT. For other people, they, they just didn't have the time. They couldn't take five days out of their work week to go and do eight hours a day of training or, or whatever that was. They had a family. They had two jobs. Uh, some people just didn't have the confidence. They didn't think they could do it and they weren't ready for that commitment. But the majority of them were people who did want to get into IT. There was just some kind of barrier to it. And so we, we had a, a very frank conversation about it. We, we were like thinking, what, what can we do to remove those barriers, remove those obstacles, make it where these people could get into IT? What would be the perfect world? What's the, the best of what we do right now, but ways that we can make it affordable, convenient, easy? Uh, and and it, it started out as what seemed like an insurmountable task. But when we started looking at the individual pieces we said, you know, I, I think we can do this. I, I think we can make the training product that we wish we had when we got started. The, the training product that help people actually get into IT, be successful, be more successful at what they're already doing. Uh, it just takes a little ingenuity, creativity, and uh, willingness to take a risk. And so we decided to take that risk. Was it just smooth sailing the whole way? No, no. In fact, the early years were really hard uh, because... For for me, you know, I, I had worked in the field. I have a, a great technology skill set. Uh, I've done the work. I've done the leadership. So in, in the technology space, I'm very talented. But I don't know anything about studio lighting, cameras. Uh, I, I was just telling a story earlier today to somebody. Uh, our first 4K camera that we bought. So this this would have been seven years ago. We, we paid. I think it was like $5,000 for this camera, which was a lot of money for us at the time. You know, you're, you're a startup, you're scrappy. Uh, but we buy this camera because we knew we wanted the best video. And there were switches on the thing that we had no idea what they meant. You know, there'd be some term written on the switch with an on and off. And you looked in the manual and it would just have that same term again. It would say, if you flip the switch, it turns it on. Flip the switch again, it turns it off. Well, that, that doesn't teach us anything. <laughs> and so, so we, we recognized real early that there was a lot we didn't know. But we didn't know what we didn't know. Uh, and so it, it came down to a challenge for us finding the right people. And it took about two years. Right away, we had great talent on camera. So our, our edutainers, our people that actually do the training, we, we already knew who we wanted for that. We'd line them up. We started creating content. But all the, all the things that goes on behind the scenes, you run a podcast, you know that there's the work you do, that is what most of the listeners hear. But behind the scenes, there's a production team, there's editors, there's marketing, there's like there's a whole world that's super important, and it's hard to find the right people for those positions. Oh, it absolutely is. It's the uh, you know the leadership poster you see where it's like the tip of the iceberg. This the conversation is the tip of the iceberg. Everything else, there's there's like I said, there's about just under fifteen people that make this whole thing happen. You know. Yeah, and you know, when you find the right people, you're really fortunate. We have been 
extra fortunate in that more than once we found the right person. So finding the right person to lead our production team, the right person to lead our engineering team, our, our, our developers, we, we never even thought we would need developers. Uh, day one, we, we had a WordPress site. We used WordPress and some plugins and that was how we did it. We outgrew that really fast. Uh, you know, fast forward to today where we have 10 full-time developers. That, that's all they do is work on the custom delivery of our, our content. That, that took a long time. Now we've been in business seven years now. So it's, it's taken a while to evolve to that point, but we were hiring engineers pretty early on. Salespeople, we, a little bit naive in the beginning. We didn't think we necessarily needed salespeople that uh, web CEO or SEO <laughs> would lead people to find our yeah. site and purchase. And that worked. But once you start bringing in sales and marketing, those numbers start to go up a lot faster. And so that, yeah, that I think we difference. all start off with that. Like, oh, I can run some ads, I can do some content, we'll get some customers. And then you realize that things happen because of relationships. And you have, even if it looks great and it says it can do everything I want to do, if there's a price point where I want to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Yeah. Now, you know, for all the rough spots, there were plenty of, of smooth spots. There, there were things that went really well. The nice thing about starting a company from scratch, uh, at least from a from a CTO perspective, is you get to set all the policy from day one. So for a lot of people, their biggest nightmare is dealing with legacy systems. We didn't have any. <laughs> we, were, we were starting from scratch. Uh, I made a rule on day one. I said, we will not have any servers in our building. I don't want any servers in the building. Everything has to be in the cloud or in a co-location facility somewhere else. Uh, this building should be able to be destroyed and our website's still operational. People are able to watch training and, and so on. Uh, and so that was a policy we had that we've stuck to to this day. And we've really benefited. We didn't, we didn't have a mainframe we had to migrate away from or, or something of that nature that a lot of people get as a, an albatross around their neck. I was curious to how you actually find the edutainers because I like the word too. I heard it for the first time in the prep for the show. I said, <laughs> that's a great word because you don't want an educator who's boring. You want an educator who's entertaining and you can definitely tell the difference between the two. Where, where do you, like, sure. where do you recruit from? Do you find like really cool teachers who just are really great people or? So, um, I would love to tell you there's a secret sauce, like one method for finding these people, but there isn't. Uh, and, and so we, we follow some interesting strategies on it. So first off, nobody wants to hear a lecture. We, we all went to high school. Most people went to college. You, you've, you've been in that environment where you get the boring lecture that just puts you to sleep. So nobody wants that. But you also don't want to be PowerPointed to death either, right? If you stare at a hundred PowerPoint slides, I, I used to be a uh, an authorized trainer for Microsoft, a Microsoft certified trainer. And when you dealt with their official curriculum, it was hundreds of slides spread across a couple of days. That is is just it's distracting. The students are reading the slides, not listening to you. It's, it's not a good experience. So we wanted to have people that were a little more personality, a little more personable on camera that were somebody you'd build a connection with. And you don't get that with a lecture. And the problem with recording one person on camera is it, it's not a conversation, right? It's them talking to the camera. It is a lecture, no matter what they say. They can tell as many jokes as they want. It's still a lecture. So we took the stance of bringing in two people on camera. Let's get two people up there and have a conversation. So instead of one person lecturing, now it's two people talking. It just naturally removes the feeling of being in a lecture, but it also helps take people that might otherwise be kind of stiff. You know, in, in IT, people are, are generally uh, not as social <laughs> as in other industries. What? This um, is news for me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it helps to break that up and create that casual conversation. Just, just like what we're doing right now, it makes a big difference. But even with all that, you still have a challenge with getting people talking about highly technical subjects to sound entertaining. And so I try and meet as many people as I can on podcasts, at conferences, uh, as I travel for various reasons, I always try and meet as many people as I can to find, to find that, that rare unicorn, that person who really knows whatever their, their expert area of expertise is. So if they're a subject matter expert on something, they really know it and they can tell stories and have a conversation. Um, we call them, we actually call them purple unicorns here, <laughs> that they're, they're not as rare as unicorns or as rare as purple unicorns, very specific. And so I put in my budget every year, even if I'm not planning on hiring an edutainer, I put in the budget at least two positions. And that way, if I just randomly encounter somebody who's a good fit, I don't have to worry about dealing with budget. I've already got it there. I'll hire them on the spot and, and bring them in. Or a lot of times we will contract somebody, have them come out and create content for us over a couple of months to get an idea of whether they'll be a good fit. And then we just hire them that way. So we have a few different methods. I like that. Have you ever come across like the No Fluff Just Stuff conferences? I haven't, no. Oh man, they're really cool. But um, they have like great people. Like entertain. Like I've I've been around to like a lot of the different conferences, right? But I came across theirs, and they had like some really entertaining people that were really really smart subject matter experts. The the one I've had the best luck with are the uh, security B sides. Uh, you know, the B sides are a little bit more independent. And if you've not heard of B sides, it's a it's like an open source framework for running a conference. And so they're, they're all over the country and they, they do the regular B-sides, but then there's a, an InfoSec focused security B-sides. And when you travel to Atlanta or Denver or, or Boston, even smaller cities, you'll, you'll run into these B-sides and meet local people that are really talented that nobody's ever heard of. And, and they're usually really passionate. They're giving these talks for free. And, and that's a great way to find people too. This is great. So like with the, some of the questions I had, like as an entrepreneur and thinking about, you know, I, of course, knew your product. I'd seen some of your people at conferences. They were doing interviews. I don't think you guys do some fun stuff, right? We do a lot of different things. Um, we, we, when I go to a conference, to me, a conference is a chance to learn about what's new, to find new products, things I might not have heard. So I, I really enjoy, the talks are all right, but I really enjoy going to the vendor booths and talking to the other people. And it's, it's really something I've missed with the pandemic shutting these conferences down. But we, a few years back, actually probably five or six years ago, we had the idea of taking our camera crew and, and our microphones and actually doing interviews out on the floor of the conferences. And so that led to some, some neat, interesting content for people that, you know, maybe you weren't able to go to the conference, but here's a chance for you to explore some of the stuff that's out there. And, and I get to act as our, our viewers representative, I guess, you know, ask the questions that they might ask, uh, because I'm the one who's actually there. So kind of extend that experience out to them. But even inside of IT Pro TV, we don't just do certification training. We also do, we have our, our TechNATO podcast that's been going on for a long time. Um, I think we just did our 203rd episode. Spell, spell that for us so we can like give a shout out for it. Oh, sure. Uh, Technado is T-E-C-H-N-A-D-O. And we have technado.com, but our fun domain is techna.do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, and what's, what's the topics that you discuss on that podcast? Uh, so what we normally do is we have our first 
segment is that we have some kind of guest. And so there'll be a guest from any number of technology companies that are out there. And they'll either talk about some uh, new product they've created or some industry trend that they're aware of. And so we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, we do a little interview around it. And the second half of the podcast is tech news. So we'll take, uh, you know, just breaking topics in cloud, sysadmin, Linux, Windows, whatever, uh, cybersecurity. We, we almost always have at least three cybersecurity articles that we discuss. Uh, and then there's usually one kind of goofy or fun article at the end. Do you host the podcast? Are you the host? So, uh, the, the title, the, the full title is actually Technado with Don Pizet. I'm on it as the, the technology expert. And then, uh, Peter Van Rysdem acts as the host. So he does the open and the close and, and all that. Uh, and then we have Daniel Lowry is our security expert. So he's on there with us. Uh, so the three of us are always on. And then we have kind of rotating guests. Oh, that is so cool. I love it. All right. So we'll definitely promote that. And I'm going to take a listen. I think you just got a new subscriber because <laughs> I think that'd be really interesting to listen to. Um, but back to my entrepreneurial questions, I was looking at your site and you guys had a lot of comparison, like you versus other companies. And it seems, you know, I happen to know like some of the CEOs of, of the companies on your website that you compare against just because uh, through friendships or relationships or whatnot. And everybody seems really friendly in this education space, by the way. I haven't gotten like rude people yet that run these companies, but they also seem to be, they're moving really fast and there's a lot of capital being pushed around. Um, how have you guys like experienced that, that whole growth of, of this entire explosion of this market, multiple competitors popping up, some being more funded than others. Uh, how have you differentiated yourself through all of that? So it's interesting you mentioned it. Uh, a lot of the IT training companies are on good terms. Uh, a lot of us will cross-license content. So for, for many years, if you went to Pluralsight, the Mac training that was on there was me. It was IT Pro TV content over on, on Pluralsight. So you, you do see a, a lot of shared resources. Also, the IT training community, just the trainers themselves, uh, will oftentimes create content from more than one provider. Um, I, Anthony Sequera comes to mind where he... He creates content for, I think, just about everybody. Uh, so, so there's a number of people like that. But when it comes to competition, I think that's probably the number one reason why the, the IT training market is so friendly, because worldwide, enterprises will spend tens of billions of dollars on IT training every single year. Well, if we could get 1% of that, that's a lot of money. We would be a very successful company. So it's a big slice of, or you know, a big pie for everybody to take a slice out of. And so it's not like we have to defeat the competition. And as long as you're priced right, many people will use more than one training resource. When you buy a car, you only go and buy one car. But if you're studying for a certification, you might buy books from two or three different publishers. And that's how people do their IT training. So it's not like a dog-eat-dog, high-competition world. There's plenty of room in the market, and I think it makes, it, it makes things really civil, and it gives people a chance to innovate a little bit. Our biggest innovation was trying to make things a little more casual, a little more friendly, have a conversation, but still cover the topics, uh, keep things in 20-minute episodes, a little bit longer than the micro-learning you see on some sites and a little bit shorter than the lecture learning you see other places not trying to be right for everybody, 
but trying to be right for a particular demographic that wasn't being served. So that that's what we've done. That's been our approach. Other companies focus maybe just on business and not on consumer clients. Others focus just on consumer or not business. Some focus on an individual technology like just Linux versus us where we, we cover a lot. So everybody has a different way to specialize and there's enough room for that. Do you guys get into like the leadership and management training at all? You know, we've, we've dabbled in it for a little while. We had worked on a product called BizPro TV that we were working on launching, uh, but there just wasn't a lot of traction there. And the, the, the main reason, if I had to theorize why there, there wasn't a lot, it's that leadership is actually a, a somewhat generic skill. The, the way that you lead people is actually the same in most industries. And there's little variations of the actual application. Once you get into like service management, that's where things really get different. But on the leadership side, uh, listening to people is a skill that's necessary in every industry. So while it was something that we we easily could have gotten into, there is a lot of competition there. There's a lot of big names that are really well known in the industry, and we felt you know let let's let those experts do what they do. Oh, it's super hard. I'll tell you that. So the this podcast um, we started taking like insight from the leaders that came on that were willing to share it, right? Like CT of NASA gives some good advice and we bundled those into like leadership training and, and went to market with it. Yeah. We, we failed like pretty, pretty fast. Um, it's really, really tough to sell it. Right. Because you're like the learning and development team, they want to buy something for everybody for the whole company and just make one purchase. Then there's the people that they have to have like data on it. So now you're building custom tools just for leadership insights. And, and so the sale is really complex. The content is not complex. Like here's what good, good leadership looks like. Here's what people do. It's the actual go to market. So um, we ultimately figured it out and, you know, it's turned into a line of business and it's, it's pretty great, but um it was not an easy battle by any means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you take, and I, I've got a, a stack of books back here on my desk, like Simon Sinek and, uh, and other people, the, you know, some of them are really useful, like five dysfunctions of a team. That book uh, really applies to anybody that deals with teams and is really useful inside of the IT world. Uh, there, there's very few true IT leadership books in, in my opinion. And, there's uh, a project yeah. Phoenix and a couple others like that, that you hear people talk about. Um, but, but by and large, I think for those books to be successful, they need to have a broader yeah. audience. Um, have you ever written a book? No, I I've thought about it, but it is, uh, it, it's a huge amount of effort and dedication. And as a, I don't think of myself as a business person because, you know, my, my business partner, Tim, he usually handles the majority of that side, but, uh, as a founder of a business, I'm responsible for a lot of people. And so my extra time is usually dedicated to making sure everybody's happy where they're at and, and they have the resources they need. And so I just have not been able to allocate time. For oh, I love like it. That. You're spending time with your people. You have to, uh, especially with the pandemic, uh, where you've got people are, are remote now that, I, I prided myself as the company grew that when we hit about 60 or 65 people, I, I knew everyone's name and everyone's spouse's name. Uh, and, and in many cases, I, I knew their children's names too. And, and that was important to me because we're a family. It, it's, we built this company together. We're growing this company together. You need to know your people and, and listen to them to be able to hear their concerns and, and make sure that you're 
making adjustments while you can. You never want to lose employees because they were unhappy and you didn't even realize they were unhappy. And it was something you could have prevented. Uh, now, obviously, we've grown significantly larger. We have over 200 people. And with the pandemic, people are remote. There have been people hired in the company that I haven't even met yet. And, and that, that, that stings a little bit. I, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish I had a chance to reach out and meet as many of these people as I can. So that's a, an effort that I actually dedicate time each week to doing is reaching out and talking to as many people Was as I can. Was that like your growth due to the, the merger with ACI? A big part of it. Yes. Yep. So we were at about 75 employees when, when the merger happened, uh, and ACI was at about a hundred employees at the time. And then once we came together, we did a rapid spurt of growth. You know, sometimes when companies merge, they eliminate positions, but here it was a huge opportunity. So we ended up hiring 30 to 40 people right, right after the acquisition and just rapidly growing. And for me, as the, as the CTO of ACI learning, I, I'm responsible for the technology. Well, I knew the needs of all of the IT Pro TV personnel, but with ACI Learning and the extra people, people that are in the UK or in some of the other locations here in the US, I didn't know their needs and I didn't know the people. So I had to reach out and talk to them and communicate. It's one of the reasons why communication is such an important skill for people in technology, even though a lot of people ignore it or, or hate Toastmasters and other things where you, know, you learn about how to talk and communicate, but it's, it's so important because you need to understand people's needs. And I'll give you a great example. Um, I met one of the, the groups of salespeople that were out in our Denver office, and they were wearing these headsets for their phones. And they were the, the cheap, like $15 headset you buy at Target. And hey, that's fine if you're 12 years old and you're going on a road trip. But if your job is to use this headset eight hours a day, five days a week, you need to splurge a little bit. You need that $200 Jabra headset that other people might balk at, but this is a tool of your job and it's technology that provides it. You've got to understand your people. How did need. you meet uh, the, the team over at ACI to even allow this merger to take place? So we actually met them uh, several years ago at a conference called InfoSec World. Uh, so there was an organization called MISTI, the MISTI or MIS Training Institute, and they did audit and some cybersecurity training, and they ran the InfoSec World Conference. And uh, there was another organization called LeaderQuest that did classroom training. And if I remember the whole story right, LeaderQuest acquired Misty and became ACI Learning. You know, it's, it's companies change hands quite a bit these days. <laughs> and so, so we had actually known them for several years under different names. And it was all in the, just operating in the same world. Uh, when they were doing a conference, we asked if we could come out and shoot video out there. And they said, they'd love for us to come and shoot video. And so, you know, we got out there and helped out, provided them all the video that we shot. Uh, it was a kind of a win-win for both organizations. And so we recognized pretty early on that uh, as separate companies, we played well together. I bet we could play even better if we were one company. And, and that's where we are now. And it's really been an exciting ride. That's amazing. I love it. I love when the cultures match and everything comes together. Cause, and I was reading the site too. And I saw like Misty and leader quest and, you know, uh, ACI and then, uh, it pro TV, like all coming together. There was a blog post about them all coming together. And I was like, Oh, there you go. You get some people working together and then now you can, uh, create an even larger change faster. 
Absolutely. And we've started expanding into different areas. So we've always, with IT Pro TV, we always focused on sysadmins and, and technology. Well, now we're expanding out a little bit more to cover things like the audit space and uh, uh, more focus in cybersecurity. You could still say that's kind of sysadmin world if you, if you think of blue teams. Uh, but we're also looking at healthcare professionals and just general skills, things like communication skills uh, that in the past we didn't really dabble in. But now that we've got a larger market, we can and larger resources. What do you think the future is? Like when you, when you imagine like what it's going to be like e-learning in 10 years, you obviously had some intelligence and a vision for it because you got in early, right? In your career. Uh, but what do you think 10 years forward is going to look like? You know, um, it, it's interesting because it, in my opinion, the, the best learning experience you can have is being in a physical classroom with a teacher right there. You know, a one-on-one -on -one tutor is even better. Like that's really the true best way to learn something. You ask whatever questions, you move at the right pace for that one student. But that's hard to re recreate. It's hard to recreate in a large class. Uh, like I, I remember uh, when I was in college, there were a few courses that might have three or 400 students in there. There was no way the teacher even knew your name, better yet understood how well you were doing in the course. So, you know, that's, that's not something that scales well. And when you do recorded training, how do people ask questions? What do they do if they get confused, right? And so uh, when we built up IT Pro TV, our, our real vision was let's try and recreate the best things in the classroom into online. And so we looked for features that would provide that. So streaming video pre-recorded, that was for scalability, right? We need to be able to scale to handle thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in time zones all around the world. Um, once we had that licked, it was then how do we bring all this other experience into play without breaking the scalability? So things like virtual labs, so you can get hands-on experience or a Q&A forum, so you can ask questions to the trainer, even though you might be watching a video that was filmed six months ago, that you can still send a question to that edutainer. They'll see it and they'll answer. You still build that connection with that person. Um, doing outreach at conferences to be able to physically get out into the geographies where these people are and meet them. That was all stuff that helped to recreate that classroom experience, but in our online format. So that was a big part of the vision that led us up to where we are now. But looking at it going forward, I think there were a lot of people that were hesitant to do online training in the past, that they grew up doing in-person training, that they've paid for in-person training for years, and they just didn't want to go online. Well, with the pandemic, they were forced to do online training if they did training at all. Otherwise, they're learning what it's like not to be trained. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole different lesson. But, uh, uh, but these are people learning that the online experience is not bad. Uh, in a lot of ways, it can be just as good as an in-person experience. And so they're starting to embrace that, the reduced cost, the access to more training, the, 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 the different, if you go out and you find a course and you don't like the trainer, being able to easily just pivot and find it with a different trainer. Uh, you know, those are resources that are available to people now going forward that may not have been available in the past. And so it really opens up the world to a lot more training options. Did you say that if you're not training to learn, you're learning not to train? Is that like a common phrase? Uh, the phrase I always heard was, if you think training's expensive, you should try the opposite. <laughs> 
And, and it's true, especially I, I have a friend who is a consultant. He does, uh, uh, he helps companies build their BRP, their business continuity plans and business resumption plans. So if a, a company has a catastrophic failure, they help them recover, right? Well, if you've taken training on that and you build up a good BRP and your company has a disaster, it makes a huge difference. You recover very quickly. You're back online with minimal impact, but if you don't do that training and you don't know what to plan for and you just fly by the seat of your pants and, and you have a ransomware attack or a massive power outage or uh, God forbid, like a terrorist attack, and then you're trying to figure out how to recover on the fly, your recovery time is going to be way longer, which means you're going to lose money way longer. It's a huge impact. It's very expensive. So training is kind of like uh, security software. You know, it, it helps if you have it before you need it, not after you need it. If you could, I'm going to ask you a leadership question about uh, like, like leadership training programs, like because you make training programs all day and you're a leader and you're an entrepreneur and you've been through all of the difficulties of building a successful business. But if you could design like the perfect leadership training program for your direct reports, what would the most important concept in that program be? Mentorship. Uh, understanding that when you're a leader, your people are looking to learn from you but you have an opportunity to learn from them, right? So it's always a learning. We're always learning one way or another, but there's only so much you can learn from managing people without turning them into guinea pigs, right? Like I'm going to try this out and see if it works. And then, oh, I just lost that employee. I'll replace them. And I won't do that this time with the new employee. That, that's not a great model. So you need to have some kind of mentor, somebody who's who's been in the field, somebody who maybe they've worked in your industry, maybe they haven't. Sometimes a whole different perspective is useful, but somebody that you can bounce questions off of, somebody that you can be frank and honest with. Uh, you know, when you, when you present things to your, your team, uh, we have a, a phrase that we use a lot here. It's called disagree and commit. So when we have a leadership meeting, it's rare that we make a unanimous decision, right? So there's always going to be at least one person who has a different opinion or disagrees with something, but we all have that, that, that one tenant disagree and commit. We might disagree, but we're going to commit and go forward with it. And so if you're that person who disagreed, but you've got to move forward, you have to have a way to present that and, and be able to communicate that to your team that maintains a nice stable, you know, one stance from leadership. You've got to be that person. You have to lead with confidence. Meanwhile, you might have a ton of doubt in your mind, but you can't let that out, right? You've got to be able to, to lead with confidence. But with a mentor, that's a person who you can voice your doubts to, who you can share your, your concerns, your, your weaknesses, kind of focus on that and become a better person. I like that. That's good. That's good. Has your, has your role changed much going from, you know, co-founder IT Pro TV to CTO of ACI Learning? Has it changed a lot or no? It has, uh, you know, in, in good ways and in, I don't want to call them bad ways, but just ways that make me nervous, I guess. With IT Pro TV, when we started, uh, Tim and I, we have different skill sets. So I'm a technology guy. I understand technology, but I've also been a trainer for over 20 years. So I, I know how people learn and I know how to take a technology topic and convert it into words that people understand to help them learn, right? So that, that's what I do. He knows how to run a business. He knows accounts receivable, accounts payable, and, and that side. So you put us together and we're, we're a good team, right? So we cover the, the aspects that we need to lead a company. Well, 
it also meant that we both wore more hats than we should have, right? So in addition to being the head edutainer, the person building the roadmap and the training architecture for our organization, uh, I was also the CTO and CISO and, and having to deal with all these different things that really should have been broken out into more people. But when you're a small company, when you're a startup, you don't have those resources. Everybody wears a lot of hats. So after the, the merger with ACI Learning, we really increased in size. So our company had 75 people. Theirs had 100 people, both fairly small companies. But when you stick them together, now you're at 175. And then we hired 30 or 40 more people to jump over 200. Well, GDPR has that magic number, 250 employees. When you hit that number, there's a whole set of regulations that all kick in and, and your life gets harder. So you've got to plan for that. So now we were at the right scale where I could... I could split off some of those hats and entrust them to other people. Now, we've been fortunate to surround ourselves with great leaders here. And so I'm confident that each person that I've tasked with roles that I used to perform are going to do a phenomenal job. And I make sure that they have the resources to be successful. So those are things that make me nervous. You know, something that I had direct control over before that I've now handed off, I've delegated. And as a leader, that's that's a, a tricky spot. That's that's probably one of my biggest failures was not delegating soon enough and, and recognizing that I needed to do it. We are better off now that I've delegated some of those things off. Uh, but it also means that I get to focus more on certain things. So my role as CTO is to make sure that our company has the right technology in place to be successful. And the, the, the way I phrase it is, I want to make sure that the employees have the right tools they need to be successful. I don't care what the tools are. I, I just want to make sure that the tools that make them successful, if an employee tells me I can work better if I'm on a Mac, I don't want to tell them, well, too bad. Here's your windows machine. I want to look at it and say, okay, what can we do to support Macs on our network? And you know, what, what can we do to make sure they meet the, the regulations and requirements of the organization to provide that? So this employee can be successful. And that's the way I approach every problem and try and make sure that we've got the right tools to be the best at what we do. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things about your culture, like, you know, you could disagree and commit. What are some of the other culture items over there? So uh, we have a number of things. It's really important that a company has values, that the employees know the values and that everybody is kind of in line and working the same way. Uh, we've always said that it's important to, to work with honor, that you should, uh, you know, be accountable for the things that you do. Personally, I've got some individual things that I follow, rules that I have. Uh, it's really important to me that people are comfortable making mistakes. If you make people uncomfortable with making mistakes, you know, if, if you're going to just read them the riot act when they make a mistake, when they have some kind of failure, then the next time they have a failure, they're likely not to tell you about it. And then you can kind of suffer and, and end up with, with challenges down the road. And so it's always an opportunity for people to learn that in IT, we're always learning. Things are changing fast. Mistakes are going to happen. You need to be able to react to them. Uh, but a, a personal mantra that I have is simply make decisions that you don't want to hem and haw. You don't want to delay. You don't want to keep continue gathering information and not making a decision. Indecision is in its way, its own decision. So, uh, you know, make a decision right or wrong, make one move forward by doing that. If you make the wrong decision, you'll probably have time to fix it. But if you delay too much, there does come a point where you've missed the amount of time you need to be able to fix a, a bad decision. 
you can't be right all the time. You're going to make mistakes and you just need to be ready to accept it and, and move forward. So that's an important lesson that I've learned in the past and that I always try and impart on other people. You got me thinking there because I've never thought about it from that perspective. Like, obviously you need, you know, the concepts or the principles of making quick decisions, pretty popular. They've been around for a while, but you just added a new layer to it for me, which is there's this opportunity window that's closing and you can decision within that window. And so you can make multiple decisions, you know, reverse them, change them, edit them, modify them. Uh, but that window eventually does close. It's like two things happening at once. I never thought of sure. it like that. Yeah. Think about like people who have on-premises data centers, right? And they hear about the cloud. They know, well, I should probably be in the cloud by now. It's 2021. It's time to be in the cloud. Uh, but I don't know. Do I, do I go with Amazon? Do I go with Microsoft? Do I go with Google? And you start gathering research and you get consultants and plans and and after a while, enough time has passed that you've already lost so much money, uh, or not, not lost necessarily, but wasted so much money that it wouldn't have mattered which provider you picked. Any one of them would have saved you money by that point. And that's probably like a best case scenario. There's other situations where maybe your competitor comes in and makes the decision first. You are still in a deciding stage and now you lose your market. You're out of business. That, that's a worst case. Yeah, because they can provide a better experience with uh, their cloud infrastructure. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. What are you excited about right now? You just did this merger. You've got all this going on. The company's growing. What are you excited about in your personal life, your non-professional life? Oh, non-professional, huh? Oh, that one's a hard one. Uh, so, <laughs> so technology is my hobby. And that, that's one of the reasons why I love working in this field so much. So when people ask me, like, uh, you know, you work with technology all day. When you go home, what do you do? And I say, well, I, I kind of work with technology. <laughs> it's just, um, I, I will say that... Uh, Right now, working with technology is a whole new thing that in the past, it was really hard for people to dabble in it as a hobby because a lot of times it required specialized hardware or it was expensive. You were lucky if you could buy old hardware that was used to be able to experiment with. But today, thanks to progressive web applications or, or just any kind of cloud-hosted web-based software, people are able to experiment and learn try new things and, and do it in home labs, do it on raspberry pies and, and do it for, for next to nothing. So really the, 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 there's no limit. You can try just about, you want to learn Kubernetes. Great. You don't need a whole server farm. You can get three raspberry pies, four and stand them up. And now you've got a whole little farm you could experiment with. So that, that excites me. That makes me kind of jealous of people that are growing up and getting into it right now. Do you have any other, like of your family that's in IT as well? Not really. No. Um, you know, my family, we, I'm from a, a military family. So my, my father was in the air force. My grandfather was in the Navy. My other grandfather was in the air force. So, uh, you know, mostly military. I was one of the, the few in the family that, uh, that, that didn't go that route and, and ended up in IT. Uh, I've got a brother who's a minister, which is a, a whole different type of networking. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it, it's interesting. I guess the, the closest would be my little brother. He he does quality control and quality assurance for a medical technology company. Uh, so they they make devices that monitor. Uh, you hear about people doing sleep surveys oh, yeah. or sleep apnea mm -hmm. machines. They they make the machines that do those tests. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. But it's kind of a good thing because when we get together at the holidays or whatever, it's not like we sit down and talk shop. 
Uh, but there is a, a bit of a negative side to it, which is they don't necessarily understand what I do. And so at Christmas time, it's, Hey, can you set up this iPhone for me? <laughs> and it's, it's hard to communicate that sometimes like, well, I don't really set up iPhones. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess I could. <laughs> you are customer support at the telecom. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I love it. I early on when I was much younger, my family would send every time there was a computer problem when, you know, when they got their first computer in their houses, they're like, Oh, send, send Joel over. And then eventually I figured out how to decline politely. <laughs> and that was a new skill. Cause otherwise I would, I could have just turned it into a business, right? That that's something I could have done. But uh, you know, your family and friends asking you to help every time there's a piece of technology. It's like, that's not what I do. I write software, but I guess I can help you with your printer. <laughs> Family and friends are tough, right? For, for people outside, it, it's different because you just raise your price. You, you get to a point where they're not willing to pay. When you say, oh yeah, I can set up that iPhone for you for $1,200 an hour, and then, then they're, they're not going to do it, right? But you don't want to do that to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> are you a person of faith? I know you said your brother's a minister. Uh, yeah, so funny story. Uh, my, my father was raised Catholic. My mother was raised Baptist. And so when they got married, they switched to Methodist. And, uh, there's, there's four kids. So my two brothers and my sister and my sister and I are Catholic. My older brother is a Methodist minister and my sister, my, uh, sorry, my younger brother, uh, I think he's just not very religious. So we kind of ended up all over the place. It's, it's interesting, but, uh, but I'm, my wife and I are Catholic. Our kids go to Catholic school. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I was, um, doing an interview with the guy that was building rockets and shooting rockets into space. Really cool guy. And he brought up like his faith, like towards the end of the episode. And I was a little bit like taken aback. I was like, man, cause you know, I go to church, I'm involved in the community, but I don't ever, it never really comes up on the podcast. Most time about leadership, advanced technology, things like that. And he had brought up how that played into his, the growth of his company. And I said, you know what? I have no concept of how to talk about faith in the workplace. And so I actually went to, I went around and I talked to some CTOs that I knew were also ministers or pastor type people. Right. And, uh, then I also talked to my pastor and we recorded a couple of these different episodes to really understand like how faith presents itself in the workplace. It's interesting. Um, and in it, I think maybe it doesn't impact us as much, but, but there are some interesting sides to it. I, I mentioned the B sides conferences mm -hmm. for B sides, Las Vegas, they actually do, there's a side conference. And I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's a security conference for Jewish people. And they, they have a meal that is kosher and, you know, they get together. So it's, it's all people of the same faith having a conversation. And I think maybe that helps to, to build trust and confidence, a little camaraderie. It's nice to have something in common when you get together to talk uh, especially about security issues, because no company wants to air out their dirty laundry. <laughs> but if you can get a, a a trustworthy group of people together, that can be very valuable. Yes, community is incredibly valuable. Have you ever built community components into your business? Uh, we have to to an extent. We've tried a, a few different things. Uh, I I don't know that we've been largely successful with it. Uh, you know, th there's communities like when you look at the SpiceWorks community that there are tens of thousands of people that log into the SpiceWorks forums every day. And they, they identify that as a part of who they are. You know, it's, it's a big deal. Um, we have, have worked hard to do that with several organizations. We actually did a, uh, an IT Pro TV roadshow 
a few years ago where we, we got one of those big, um, uh, like tour buses mm -hmm. and drove all the way across the country on our way out to a conference that was in Vegas. We went up all the way up to Chicago and down and, uh, and we stopped at all these schools and places along the way where people were learning it and use it as a chance to kind of talk and get to know people and, and treat them as individuals, not just some ARR subscription number, you know, on a, on a website, it was, here's a person I could shake their hand. Um, it was great. I, I stay in communication with a lot of those people. Uh, a lot of people that have subscribed to IT Pro TV over the years have stayed in communication with all of us edutainers. Uh, you know, it, it does build a bit of a community, but it's not like a, a formalized thing. And I, I really think there could be one. I love it. I love it. That sounds so cool. You guys got a tour bus and you went across the United States. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, do you know how many listeners you're up to each, each week? Uh, over 70,000. So that's a lot of people and you, you probably get emails and chats from people, but not even 1%. Oh, yeah. So, you know, getting out and meeting people in person that, that builds a fan for life. Oh man, it was so cool the year. So I hadn't done much public speaking at all. So I started the podcast, you know, it got popular over a couple of years. And then I started getting invitations to come speak at companies. And I said, oh, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> I did it a couple of times and I was like, okay, now I'm charging. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so from there, the cool thing was like getting to go out and meet these people. And then I get off stage and then inevitably there would be like a line of people that like happen to listen to the podcast and I'd get to meet them in person. I'm like you are the type of people who are listening. We have the best listeners in the world. This is so, so cool. I did like 50 something cities and then COVID happened. So I haven't, and then it was just like, stop, but, uh, going out there and getting to meet those people and those really like, there's people I could text right now on my phone. It's, it's just, it's a cool thing. You know, that was a, an interesting thing for all of our edutainers. So our, our edutainers, they're very good speakers, but they're just normal people. And they're normal people that you could walk up to and have a conversation with. And none of them think of themselves as, as famous or celebrities or whatever. But if I go to the airport with any one of them, or if we go to a conference, there's people that walk up and like, Daniel, I love your CEH show or, or Don, you taught me VMware or you know, whatever. And, and it's, it's eye-opening. I'm like, wow, I, I made a difference in this person's life and I have no idea who they are. <laughs> and so it's, it's nice to be able to talk to them and, and learn their story and what they've been through. Oh, it feels honestly, we, we, we take screenshots. So, you know, a lot of the love comes to me directly because people will find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. So what I do is I take screenshots and I post it into our team Slack because it's because of all of them on the team that this is even possible. And, uh, that feeling though of getting those i have a an album in my phone um it's called like love or favorites or something like that but i i just take screenshots and add to that album constantly there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these in there because uh this content can go on forever and, it, and people will find useful useful stuff have you ever gotten like recognized at like uh not at a conference or anything like that like maybe at like a wedding or like at a restaurant or something uh, I was buying some uh, wood pellets for my smoker <laughs> at an Ace Hardware, and the cashier, I, I was, I was trying to do Apple Pay on the little credit card thing, and it wasn't taking it at first, and then it took it, and I, I said, "Boy, I'm glad I could figure that out." And the cashier said, "Well, you're the host of IT Pro TV. I assume you should be able to figure that out." <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, "Wow, this guy knows me." Oh, so we had a great amazing. conversation, and yep.
It's it's interesting. Uh, Ronnie, uh, one of our edutainers, he had a run in at a gas station where he was just pumping gas and somebody came by and said, hey, I loved your network plus. <laughs> that is so neat. I love stories like that too. I The first time I really got recognized in public, I was at a wedding and this girl walked up to me. She goes, hey, uh, this is going to sound weird, but do you host a podcast? And I was like, yeah, I do. She's like, oh, you interviewed me like last year. And it was this girl that I had interviewed. Um, she was awesome. <laughs> and her... And I was at the wedding of one of my employees, right? And she was at the wedding of like her like nephew or something. And so I was like, this is what a small world, man. What a small, small world. It's, it's, I don't know, stuff like that makes me feel really good about life. I don't know why, but it does. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, having a, a platform like a podcast gives you a chance to reach out to people all over the world. And uh, what what really kind of touches my heart is when, you make an actual difference in somebody's life. And I, I love hearing those stories where somebody says, Hey, I, I was working in a gas station trying to figure out how to pay my bills. And I used your training. I learned, I got into it. I got my first certifications and now I'm making $50,000 a year or something. And, and, and my life has changed. You know, I I'm finally able to not have to worry about how I'm going to pay my rent this month. And and that to me is what this is all about, teaching, helping people get into IT, providing services like these, and, and just feedback from the, the, the customers that are out there is really, really valuable. So you have that line of business, helping people like level up from maybe service industry into some IT if they want to. And then you have the line of business where you help companies like actually preparedness. If I want you know, my team to be uh, organized on a specific security or some module. How do you, how do you sell that? I'm not explaining it well. <laughs> sure. Uh, so you've probably heard of the Peter principle that a lot of people will get promoted right up to the point where they're outside of their abilities <laughs> and no longer capable to do their job. So imagine you're a network engineer and you, I mean, you know, everything about networking. You've got your, your dynamic routing protocols are in place. You've got redundant links everywhere, automatic failover, like everything you could ask for uh, quality of services configured. Your network runs great. Well, now you get promoted and you're the CTO or, Hey, we've now recognized that we need security people. So you're now the CISO. Well, all right, you, you know maybe the security side of networking, but what about the security side of Linux or Windows or these other areas? What about building a BRP? These are all skills that are outside of your skill set, and now you're responsible for it. You need to learn that, and you need to learn it fast. You need to have a resource that's able to, to teach you that. Or maybe it's not that you've already gotten promoted, but you want to be promoted. Hey, you're a network engineer. You've reached the pinnacle of your career, and now you're thinking, I'd like to get into management. I'd like to become a CTO or I'd like to become a, a, a CIO, CISO, whatever it is. Well, you're probably missing some skills. There's probably something you need to be able to validate that you've got the skills to make you worthy of being in that position. And that's where training comes in. Now, that type of training is normally more fringe-based. And when I say fringe-based, I don't mean it's like weird. I just mean that there's not as many people in that role. So it's harder to find. Back in the classroom days, we used to put on courses for things like CISSP and we'd only have three or four students that were ready for it. So we'd have to cancel the class. There just wasn't enough demand. But when you're doing online streaming all across the world, there's always demand. And so having a, access to a resource like ours, well, that makes it where you can jump in and take that, that higher end training, the, the stuff that's more, more managerial or higher skill leveled train up to show you've got those skills and then move into that position that you want to be in. 
I love it. I love what you guys are doing. I want to support you in any way possible. If people want to try out the product or learn more about it, how would they do that? Uh, the easiest way to learn is to go to our website at itpro.tv. Uh, you can sign up for a free subscription. And we have, I believe it's a, a little over 80 hours of free training that just anybody can watch. Uh, if you want to get like your CompTIA IT fundamentals certification, you can watch that entire show and then go and, and, and be exam ready. So it's a great way to just see the product and whether or not you like it. Uh, if you do like it, you can sign up for a subscription. We have uh, subscriptions that start at a very reasonable price for our video. And then you can pay a little extra if you want to get virtual labs and practice exams and, and check that out. Uh, but we also have a number of free webinars. If you go to itpro.tv slash webinars, you can see things that are coming up. Uh, we do at least two a month and those are free of charge. We cover all sorts of topics. We bring in a lot of experts and cover interesting things. Uh, and we've got the TechNado podcast, which is also free. So lots of lots of really cool things. Excellent. And we'll, we'll run a Thank preview you of the so TechNado podcast right after this. And if you found that, this episode cool? useful, please share it with a That's friend great. or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going. So, uh, you know, normally awesome. when we hunt for articles to report on here on TechNATO, we are looking for amazing technological advances. <laughs> I did push the limits of our rules a little bit for this article, but I thought it was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now you can't get away with it because you're like exposing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, people are reporting that they're having Zoom fatigue, right? Uh, more of us are working from home. I know I am in Zoom meetings every single day. I just came from a Zoom meeting before we started this. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's, uh, it's my fun. Mondays uh, are, are literally meetings from morning until until evening. That's that's how I spend my Mondays and, and it sucks. And so somebody else thought the same thing and they created a neat little tool that you can run on your desktop that allows you to simulate any number of reasons to get out of a Zoom call, including crying babies, bad internet connections. It can actually degrade your, your audio. Uh, it can create an echo. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to run. There's a, <laughs> a tornado. A prison, being, a prison attack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're finally uh, coming for us. Yeah. The echo one is kind of my favorite. Like, oh, something's wrong with my microphone. Yeah. It's feeding back. <laughs> if you want to check it out, just go to zoomescaper.com. Oh, and it's a web application. You don't have to install it or anything. You can run it right from there. Uh, it does need access to your microphone in order for some of the effects to work. So again, standard privacy concerns concerns uh, are involved but otherwise it's uh, it's pretty neat so uh, I, if i could make a custom one i would be like accidental amputation yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness the neighbor just cut his hand off you hear the, the chainsaw yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, asking for a friend but this would work on teams then because it uh it, it, does, it just it gives goes a hook the into the microphone, or, no? or is it like yeah. a, a soundboard? So it uses a there's a program called VB Cable yeah. that creates a virtual audio device, like a virtual sound card on your computer. Uh, yes. I know that works under Windows. I don't know about other operating systems, but it taps into that to create a virtual microphone. Nice, and and so that's what you use. So in it should work on Teams. I haven't tried it, but it should. Man, I'll let you know tomorrow. <laughs> it feels like the person that made this is like a huge fan of like sub seven or something. You know, like do all these crazy things to people's computer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic.